Hello, hello, welcome. It's episode 348 of the Keto Diet Podcast. I do really like singing random words. Today we're chatting about glucose in a pretty healthy person. We want to chat about like the glycemic responses for non-diabetics. So much of the glucose content and figuring out what's best for your health as it relates to your glucose is all for diabetics. And while this is so incredibly important information, and for them, this is like, oh, it's such a gift to be able to wear a CGM and get a handle on their glucose. I work with a lot of women who are pre-diabetic, who are definitely on their way to having a pretty nightmare situation with their glucose. And for them to be able to wear a CGM and start to see what's happening with their levels on a moment by moment basis is life changing. It's life changing. I know it has changed my life significantly. And many of those women you'd be surprised are CrossFit athletes, are people that fast often, and their glucose is going from 50 to 200 fasted. Like there's some big issues. And so I wanted to have this conversation with my friend Casey Means about what to expect when you wear a CGM or how to manage your glucose as a non-diabetic. Some of the surprising foods that will spike your blood sugar that you think, no way will it spike my blood sugar. And how to not eat meat and still keep our glucose regulated. We talk about a lot of things like that as it relates to just managing your glucose as a non-diabetic because it is important. And I see crazy fluctuations in non-diabetics and we really need to get a handle on this because it's like not good. So our guest today, like I said, is Casey Means. She's been on the show before. She's an MD and Stanford trained physician, chief medical officer and co-founder of Metabolic Health Company Levels and associate editor of the International Journal of Disease Reversal and Prevention. Her mission is to maximize human potential and reverse the epidemic of preventable chronic disease by empowering individuals with tech-enabled tools that can inform smart, personalized, and sustainable dietary and lifestyle choices. Dr. Means' perspective has been recently featured in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Men's Health, Forbes, Business Insider, Tech Crunch, Entrepreneur Magazine, The Hill, Metabolism, Endocrine Today, and more. She has held past research positions at the NIH, Stanford School of Medicine, and NYU. Like with that sort of bio, you think that Casey is going to be just incredibly talking over our heads, but she is such a personable human that just wants to help people understand their bodies. And it is just such an encouragement. If you want to follow Casey, you can do so. Dr. Casey's Kitchen. I'll include that link in the show notes today. And you guys know how much I love levels. In fact, I'm planning around this time to put in another device and share with you some of the things that I'm learning about my body. Because every time I put on a CGM, I'm like, wow, I had no idea that was a thing. So it's such a gift to continue to use every couple months. So go ahead and follow me at Leanne Vogel. That's V-O-G-E-L. 
and we'll have some fun. So just a reminder, we are shifting episodes from Sundays to Tuesdays in the new year. So you'll see the first episode going live Tuesday, January 4th, and the next one the following Tuesday and the following Tuesday. So we were doing bonus episodes this year, just sprinkled here and there. I don't think we're going to be doing that this year. We're just going to be rolling with Tuesdays. I felt very called to stop working on Sunday and stop publishing things on Sunday and just like take a day of rest. (laughs) It is a lot of work running a business solo and just making sure that everything is on point. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks for your support. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing the podcast with your friends. It means so, so, so much. So this is one of the last episodes we'll have on Sunday. We have another episode going out Sunday, December 26th about keto and your hormones, what you need to know and how to manage them. And then we'll start off the new year, January 4th, with an episode on fertility, keto and hormones. So much hormone stuff. You know how much I love hormones. So yeah, just keep that in your mind over the holidays or not. Just come back here in January and know that episodes will be going forward on Tuesdays, not Sundays, not Wednesdays, Tuesdays. And if you have questions about today's episode or you just want to chat, you can go to healthfulpursuit.com slash contact. You can ask me. You can also follow up with show notes and links from today's show and all the things you need by going to ketodietpodcast.com. Just look for episode 348 on that page. Okay, let's do this thing. Welcome to the Keto Diet Podcast, the show all about keto for women so you can burn fat, balance your hormones, and heal your body. Starting and maintaining keto can be challenging without the right support. So just for listening to the podcast, I want to give you 20% off the keto beginning with the coupon code Keto Podcast. That's all one word. This 30-day program gives you a clear step-by-step how-to so you can quickly adapt to a ketogenic diet, avoid common struggles, and get the results you crave. Go to healthfulpursuit.com slash begin to get your keto beginning discount today. If you're new around these parts, I'm Leanne Vogel. You may know me as the international bestselling author of The Keto Diet, founder of happyketobody.com, or maybe you know me as the nutritionist that likes dipping pork rinds in avocado oil mayo. I'm so glad you're here with me today. Thanks so much for listening. Hi, Casey. How are you? It is great to see you, Leanne. Thanks so much for having me back on. Oh, of course. We were just saying before we press record, it's been a year since we've talked. Like, how does this happen? Unbelievable. Yeah. (laughs) Time has flown. I didn't watch the original episode that we did. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what lights you up? Mm, Yes, absolutely. So my name is Casey Means. I am a medical doctor. I am the co-founder and chief medical officer of metabolic health company Levels. I practice a very root cause approach to healthcare where I'm really trying to help people figure out what links the symptoms and the conditions that are happening and how to treat at that level in a really proactive way and how to create the conditions in the body that generate optimal function for our cellular biology rather than just waiting until people get sick and prescribing a pill or a treatment, like really a proactive, empowering approach. And I trained as a head and neck surgeon of all things originally. Um, I did that for five years and I was just blown away by the monumental impact of metabolic dysfunction and metabolic disease on patients. And it's just something we're just not talking about enough. I think in our country, we like to think of diseases as separate things that are all sort of isolated in their silos. But what we really know from 
the research is that metabolic dysfunction links a lot of these diseases and we should really be approaching it head on in a big way in our country. And so that's really where my passion lies. In terms of what lights me up, certainly empowering people to live their healthiest lives by giving them access to information that helps them understand their bodies better. That is what lights me up so that people can make their own decisions and understand their own bodies. Because I think that is the root of sustainable, positive living and, and choices. On a more personal level, what lights me up is being outdoors. I would sleep in a tent you know, in the backcountry every single day of the week if I could. That's my favorite thing is waking up, looking at the mountains. And, and so I was really fortunate to actually visit the co-founder of my company, Andrew, for the last 10 days in Durango, Colorado. And we did a bunch of camping together and that definitely filled my cup and, and really lit me up. Oh, I'm sure that sounds lovely. You know, sitting in Florida and it's like so hot here, I would kill to just be outside with fresh air <laughs> that's not so humid. It was amazing. It was about 65 degrees and blue skies and the sound of rushing babbling brooks everywhere and you know, sensory overload in terms of all the all the good things. I'm sure, I'm sure. And so at what point did you start realizing that glucose management and really understanding that, like you were talking about, the empowerment of of people understanding their data and being able to move forward with their own plan. At what point did you start to see like that was where you wanted to focus and where the kind of the missing link was? It came down to two things. One was my personal experience and one was just like stepping back and observing the system. So starting with the system side of things, if you just look at the basic statistics, blood sugar dysfunction and metabolic dysfunction are just absolutely epidemic proportions. A recent study out of UNC, University of North Carolina from two years ago, surveying tens of thousands of American adults suggests that 88% of American adults have at least one biomarker of metabolic dysfunction. And you know, metabolism, that's the core, this like core primordial pathway in the body of how our cells create energy. We have 37 or so trillion cells in the body and every single one needs a well-functioning metabolism to function properly. And disease and symptoms, like these words that we use, like really a lot of that, all of that is rooted in cellular dysfunction. You know, you can't, symptoms emerge because there's problems inside the body at the smallest level. And a big aspect of that is our metabolism of our cells basically not working properly. Our standard American diet, the way we're living in the modern Western world is just hijacking a lot of the systems that allow us to make and process energy properly in the body. And what this shows up as is metabolic dysfunction. And then when you look at sort of the top causes of death in the United States, eight of the 10 leading causes of death in the United States are in some way related to dysfunctional metabolism or poor blood sugar control. And they're not diseases that we saw, you know, 100, 200 years ago, because we are in totally different conditions. Now we are dealing with an industrialized food system, a sedentary lifestyle, chronic low grade stress, chronic low grade sleep deprivation that just are totally hijacking these systems and making us sick. And so I'm looking at that. I'm looking at, you know, so 88% of Americans have one biomarker of metabolic dysfunction. 74% of Americans, adults are overweight or obese. 128 million Americans have prediabetes or type 2 diabetes, which is largely preventable. And then these problems underlie so many of the other chronic illnesses we're seeing, like heart disease, stroke, Alzheimer's, dementia, depression, anxiety, infertility, they all 
have roots in poor blood sugar control. So I'm looking at all that and I'm like, this is huge. And why aren't we talking about it? And part of the reason we don't really talk about it in this framework of like, we need to fix metabolic dysfunction at scale is because in our conventional system, we look at diseases all as really isolated, separate silos, these different things. And we treat them all as such, you know, for your arthritis, you get an anti-inflammatory medication for your Alzheimer's, you get an Alzheimer's medication for your diabetes, you get insulin or metformin for your depression, you get an antidepressant. And we are, it's like each of these are, are very siloed. And yet when you look at the actual physiology and the biology, so many of the same pathways are linked in all of them. And if we just treat it at that level, you could potentially really mitigate a lot of this morbidity by focusing on those core root cause pathways. The problem is there's not a drug that can fix metabolism. You know, this is something that Robert Lustig, an amazing author, Dr. Robert Lustig, UCSF professor, has written several books about metabolism, metabolical fat chance. He says these are conditions that are foodable but not druggable. And so we have to be focusing on food. And, and so what I'm really passionate about is helping people figure out how to do that. Like actually have the tools to understand how food is affecting their bodies so they can make better choices. Because at this point you can't trust labels. You can't trust food marketing. We're eating Franken food. That's like not real food. It's, you know, the vast majority of American calories are from ultra processed foods that come from factories, not the earth. And so the molecular information that's going into our body through food is not the information that is in real food. It's very, very different. And so we're facing different challenges now than we ever had throughout human history, where being healthy is like a monumental uphill battle. And so having tools like continuous glucose monitoring or other metabolic monitoring tools can really give us like a handhold in this modern world and help us kind of do better. And you know, 49% of Americans try and lose weight each year or try and go on a diet. So it's not like people aren't trying. Like The will to do better is there and the effort and people stepping back and saying, I want to improve my life and my health. And yet we're not doing well. Like we're getting heavier as a country. Our life expectancy is going down. We're getting sicker. Chronic diseases rates are going up. And so there's effort and there's intention, but we're not seeing the results. And I think one of the, the disconnects there is just the lack of information about our own bodies, the lack of awareness and biofeedback loop between what we're doing and what's actually happening and be able to make then smart choices. So that's really the epicenter of where Levels lives. And so that was kind of the systems level issues that I saw that made me want to step back from the surgical world and do this. And, and then my experience in surgery was like the second piece of that, which is that, yeah, I was just basically seeing so many patients who were dealing with inflammatory disorders. ENT is a lot of inflammatory conditions. It's like sinusitis, thyroiditis, laryngitis, all these itises are disorders of inflammation. And we know pretty well that one of the big causes of inflammation, drivers of inflammation in the body is sugar. And we're eating like 150 pounds of sugar per year, the average American adult, when we like 100, 200 years ago, we were probably eating less than one pound of sugar. So we're eating like 152 pounds of sugar. And I'm like, okay, so I'm treating inflammatory disorders. I know inflammation is triggered by sugar. We're eating 150 pounds of sugar per year per person. Maybe we should think about trying to help people eat better. And it would have an impact on some of this chronic inflammation that I'm operating on and prescribing steroids for and prescribing antibiotics for. And it certainly, it feels very hollow when, you know, you're spending 80 to hundred hours per week in the hospital, but realizing that nothing of what you're doing is actually helping people be healthier. It's reacting to their disease with essentially 
a lot of things that kind of make people feel better in the short term, but don't actually change the triggers that may be leading to their illness. And so those things all together just was like a total wake up call five years in. And I was like, there's enough people punching holes in sinuses and sucking the pus out and helping people like, this is not where I'm meant to be. Like I'm meant to be helping shift the system such that we're addressing these things, ideally decades earlier and ideally keeping the vast majority of people out of the operating room. And that's the side of the the game that I wanted to be on and, and really devote my clinical energy to. Keto flu, impossible fasting symptoms that stop you mid-fast, cravings at any hour of the day, or feeling off after a sweaty workout, these are some of the signs that you're low in electrolytes. When I first started keto, I made all of the mistakes. One of the biggest ones was not supplementing with electrolytes. And still, seven years into keto, I often forget how essential electrolytes are. Honestly, it's easy to forget to take electrolytes because, well, a lot of them don't taste very good or work very well. Enter Element, the most delicious, well-balanced electrolyte powder I've personally tried, like ever. Add to water and enjoy any time of day. These electrolytes are salty, as they should be, quenching your thirst and hitting the spot. And the best part, when you head to drinklmnt.com slash KDP, you'll receive a free Element sample pack. You only pay $5 for shipping. The sample pack includes eight packets of Element that includes two citrus, two raspberry, two orange, and two raw unflavored. Go to drinklmnt.com forward slash KDP for your free sample pack. I love Element and I really think you're going to too. Again, that's drinkelement.com forward slash KDP to get your free sample pack. And if you don't love it, they will refund your $5, no questions asked. That's just phenomenal. And it's crazy to think that 49% of people try to do the diet thing. And what I see in my practice nutritionally is that they're just, they're often doing the wrong diet thing. You know, they go on the internet and they're like, how do I lose 10 pounds in a week? And they're like, okay, boop, 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 I'm going to do this. And it's either completely unattainable because it doesn't fit their lifestyle, completely unattainable because it doesn't fit their metabolism where they're at. You know, if you're addicted to sugar and somebody says you can't have sugar for the next six weeks, it's going to be very challenging without proper support. And so I think that's why, you know, having the data to understand how your body's reacting to things and to have that constant feedback, like you were saying with the continuous glucose monitor, I realized very quickly where my hangups were and what I needed to work on. And I had no idea. And this is a quote unquote, a pretty healthy person with big air quotes. But you know, some of my clients who wear a continuous glucose monitor, it's just so they can see real time what the decisions they're making are doing to their body within moments, within the next two hours, you start to feel tired, check your phone, guaranteed you're going down a sugar drop. And wow, what I impacts me like that. And you start to combine what your CGM is telling you in your hand, you know, you're on your phone to your symptoms and how you're feeling and starts to really put that memory into play and you start to make better choices and personalized choices. Would you agree? 
Absolutely. We have literally never had that closed loop biofeedback with nutrition before. Nutrition has just been this black box. We eat around a metric ton of food per year, like, and several pounds of food per day. Like, this is a massive amount of stuff just going through our body, becoming our body, and serving as the information for our body about what to do genetically, chemically, all these things. It's so freaking cool. And yet, we basically have no information or immediate feedback on what it's actually doing to our body. Like we may be able to tune into some of our, how we're feeling after a meal, which is great when people can do that. Although it's hard, it's hard in our modern world to tune into how our bodies are feeling because we are eating a lot of stuff that is just makes us feel crummy. Crummy kind of becomes our baseline. And I think there's a lot of people out there who don't even really know what it feels like to feel like you're thriving or you're really on fire because we're just, our bodies are filled with some of the stuff that doesn't make us feel that way. And so to be able to take this loop of, I made a choice, this is how I feel. And this is the objective data I got about it. Like that trifecta to me is like the heart of body awareness and behavior change. But the objective piece is key because sometimes it's really easy to misattribute actions or results to like other things. So an example of this is like mid-morning, let's say you have had breakfast, it's around 11 a.m. now, and you feel super lethargic and you kind of are tired, maybe a little bit anxious, want to take a nap, want another cup of coffee. A million things might come to mind. I'm stressed because of work. My coffee was too small. I didn't get enough sleep. Like maybe it was the food I ate. Like maybe I'm just a tired person. But like when you can see on your continuous glucose monitor, like, oh no, actually at 8 a.m. I had oatmeal and my glucose spiked to 180 milligrams per deciliter, which is really high. And then I came crashing down and now I'm like waffling in reactive hypoglycemia. And now I'm tired. All of a sudden the misattribution is gone. You're like, no, this was the oatmeal that didn't work for me. And I'm not saying that doesn't work for everyone in this example. And I need to fix that. And so that might mean switching over to eggs and avocado and greens for breakfast, which are likely to cause virtually no glucose spike, or it could mean doctoring up your oatmeal so it has less of a glucose impact, like switching from instant oats to steel cut oats or groats, adding fat, fiber, and protein, you know, almond butter, chia seeds, flax seeds, whatever, and modulating it so that you don't have that roller coaster. So that closed loop biofeedback, it's the first time we've ever had that in nutrition. And I, I think it's going to transform our relationship with food so that we really think of food as something we have a little bit more of a relationship with and have more control over in a positive way to serve our needs as opposed to just guessing. And I think it's going to have a monumental impact on holding a mirror up to the food industry and saying like, I get that your claims say this, but this is what it's actually doing to my body. Like, And when that happens at scale, like these companies are going to have to do better. Right now, you can walk into the grocery store and pick up a bag of Skittles and it'll probably say something like, this is a low fat food, you know? So it's like health washing to the nth degree. But when you actually have a mirror to that and transparency because of your own data, like marketing goes out the window and we just start focusing on like, well, what's actually working for us and my body. 
Marketing really goes out the window and even just beyond market. I know that everyone markets themselves and they're like, my diet is the best diet. And if you follow this diet, you're going to have these results. And at times you need certain diets for certain times, you know, myself following the ketogenic diet for seven whole years and healing from a lot from that, getting my period back after eight years of amenorrhea. And I mean, the list goes on no more ADD. I mean, just so many things. And I got to the point wearing the continuous glucose monitor, I actually had this experience experience two days ago and today, where now that I'm not really eating a ketogenic diet, I stopped about six months ago. I'm fine. I used keto to attain all my goals. And I got to the point where I don't need to be eating this way anymore. And my body needs something else now. And I had two days ago, I had a big bowl of low carb oats. It had almond flour, sunflower seeds, flax, a bunch of coconut oil and banana and medjool dates. I felt so good that day, that morning. I was on fire. My glucose was steady. And you're thinking like banana in there. I put some maple syrup in there too. Dates, maybe. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, and you're thinking, Leanne, you're totally going to crash. No, I was great. This morning, I was like, I'm going to do a savory thing. I'm going to make two eggs, some meatballs and some kale and a little bit of chickpeas, like just the crunchy ones. And chickpeas are fine for me. And that was a pretty low carb meal. I crashed. I was so tired. I was so tired. And so it's interesting, just the reactions that different bodies can have at different times. Whereas my husband is completely different. He thrives on the eggs with the meats and the greens. But right now where I'm at, I'm not thriving on that. And had I just followed the, well, keto worked for me. It's been working for me. All is good. I never would have adjusted. And I, at this point in my life where I'm at right now, it works much better for me to have that porridge with the banana and the medjool dates and the things like, it's just fascinating. It's so fascinating. And are you wearing a CGM currently? I'm not. So CGMs for a lot of people can be quite costly if you're wearing them all the time. And I started noticing a lot of my clients and stuff like that. They would do these bouts of like, wear it for 28 days, then go off of it for two months until they could afford it again. So I wanted to try to get to that space so I could learn quickly and then write down all the things that I learned. Like this works better. This is how I know that this is working. You know, if I start to get a little bit hungry, that means that my glucose is dipping down a little bit and it's a good time to eat before it totally crashes. And then Mm -hmm. I just eat whatever, like all those little lessons. So I wear it for 28 days and I take a little break for like one or two months and then I wear it again and see what lessons I can learn. So I wasn't wearing CGM during that, but I tested that multiple times. The first time I did, I was like, let's just see how much this is going to totally screw things up. And it didn't. And I was like, okay, well, let's try it again. Just hormones. I'll try it again in two weeks. And it didn't. And so I think that's another interesting point, just the glucose and our resistance to those fluctuations, depending on where we're at in our cycle. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think research needs to pan this out and like figure this out. But I do think there's also something to be said for that your body can shift a little bit in its responses to carbohydrates over time. And I think it probably has a lot to do with microbiome because as you know, like I'm primarily plant-based. So I am eating very little animal products and like a lot of beans and lentils and nuts and seeds and greens and things like that. And I know a lot of people who like are on a more animal protein-based diet and they eat beans and lentils and they really spike and I can eat them and stay completely flat. And I'm like, there must be something microbiome here going on. But then as 
people I know have actually incorporated a lot more fiber into their diet. We're really understanding the relationship between fiber and metabolic health and how important it is. There's a shift that sometimes happens. And this is just, again, anecdotally, just looking at our sort of levels data where people then start responding better to the beans and the lentils. So I, I, I also wonder if there's sort of this transitional period where your body basically is processing carbohydrates differently. And, and this kind of is rooted in a paper that came out about five years ago that is really a landmark paper out of the journal Cell, which was called Personalized Nutrition by Prediction of Glycemic Responses. And they put continuous glucose monitors on around like 800 healthy non-diabetic individuals. And they looked at what happened to their glucose when they give them standardized meals. And what you'd expect from the concept of like the glycemic index or even from the perspective of like a ketogenic diet, you'd think, oh, well, if they're all eating the same food, it's going to have the same impact on all of their glucose levels. Like there's this idea that there's some inherent property to food in terms of how it actually impacts your glucose levels. What they found was the opposite, which is that with a standardized meal across 800 people, people had wildly different glucose responses in terms of what actually made it from the food into their bloodstream and how that response happened from completely flat to huge spikes and then all across the spectrum. So what this says to us is that there's something happening between the mouth and the bloodstream that's basically changing the way we're processing food. And they identified several factors that were related to that. Microbiome was a big one, body composition and anthropomorphic features, which kind of can hint at insulin sensitivity. That was also related, like how sleep and physical activity, there were lots of different variables. I think they ended up looking at like 137 variables that may be related to sort of how the response is different between people. But it just goes to show that like what works for one person might work differently for another person. But even amongst the same person at one time point, it may look different at a different time point. And so that's really, really fascinating to me. And we were talking about this before the, the episode started. You know, I'm someone who like, you'd look at my diet and, and someone would be like, oh my God, that's the opposite of ketogenic. Like that's literally everything you can't have, like beans, lentils. I don't eat a lot of grains and things like that, but you know, fruit. And yet my glucose stays pretty much flat all the time. And I'm usually, my ketones are up there like around 1.2 to 1.7. And so like, I'm technically on a ketogenic diet, right? Cause like it's, I have ketones and I'm in ketogenesis, but it's not the label of keto or whatnot. And that's because for whatever reason with my physiology, the way those carbohydrates are interacting with my body is resulting in not a lot of glucose spikes in my bloodstream and my body's still looking to burn fat for fuel. And so I just think there's like a, the future of the nutrition landscape and like how we talk about diets and dietary philosophies is going to look very different in the context of personal data. And my hope is that it kind of liberates people from the more restrictive, like I've got to do it because this is what the pamphlet says to more like, oh, there's a lot of different roads to getting to the goal I want. And for a lot of us, I think the goal is, I mean, obviously to feel good, to be a healthy weight, but also metabolic flexibility, like the kind of this like crowning jewel of metabolism, which is this idea that we can like burn fat efficiently. We can burn carbs efficiently and our body can kind of bounce back and forth, which we know is associated with longevity and is like a really good state to be in. And to know that there's more than one way to kind of pass go on that and that it's likely very individual and changes over time, I think is really fun and empowering and is going to hopefully liberate people from like feeling 
restricted or confined by a specific dietary philosophy. I've been on an iron boosting kick. About six months ago, I discovered my iron levels were dangerously low. Why? Well, because I like plants and I eat a lot of plants on my ketogenic diet. And when you do not combine vitamin C with plant-based iron foods, the iron cannot be absorbed. Now, vitamin C-based foods are kind of lacking in the ketogenic diet. It's not impossible to get enough, but it is a challenge. So I started supplementing with Paleo Valley Essential C, and in just three short months, I doubled my iron level. Extreme fatigue, weakness, fluttering heartbeat or shortness of breath, headache, dizziness or lightheadedness, cold hands and feet, inflammation of the tongue, brittle nails. These are all symptoms of low iron, and I had all of them. Sitting on the lower end of normal iron levels can deliver some of these symptoms. And it's very unpleasant, let me tell you. Coupled with the immune boosting component of vitamin C, you really can't go wrong with this one-two punch in your ketogenic diet. And why Paleo Valley Essential C? It's third-party lab tested as the most powerful 100% natural vitamin C product on the market today. It contains not one, but three of the most concentrated natural sources of vitamin C amla berry, camu camu berry, and unripe aceola cherry, the most potent source of natural vitamin C on earth, which is 120 times higher than that found in an orange. Each nutrient-packed serving delivers 750% your RDI of vitamin C, an amount meant to help you thrive, not just survive. Most other vitamin C supplements are derived from GMO corn and only contain one fraction of the vitamin, ascorbic acid. Paleo Valley Essential C Complex contains the entire spectrum with absolutely no synthetic vitamin C, just organic superfoods. Makes a huge difference. Head on over to paleovalley.com. Load up, grab a couple of bottles of vitamin C complex, whatever else that catches your eye. The superfood bars are amazing if you need a recommendation. Then enter the code KETO at checkout to receive 15% off your first order. Again, that's paleovalley.com and the code KETO for 15% off your first order. And I'm glad you mentioned that too. I find a lot of people will find something that works for them and they'll hold on to it for a long time and things will start to not work anymore. They'll be like, no, 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 but it worked two years ago. I just need to get back to what I was doing and it'll be okay. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that there's a time for certain things. And as your body shifts, changes, evolves. I mean, especially if you're a woman and your hormones at different times and life phases, how much stress you have, how hydrated you are, where you're living, all of those things impact the type of diet that you respond best to what nutrients you need, your gut permeability can cause issues with your glucose regulation. I mean, there are so many possibilities. And I guess that leads to my next quite bigger question, which probably break down a little bit more, but the surprising foods that spike your blood sugar, like, for example, people should know this, but certain keto bars, you know, I know that when I first got my CGM, I was like, let's see what I'm reacting to. And I was blown away at how many bars were not actually that great or how many I needed to pair with nut butters and things in order for them to be properly like, so I wasn't like up, down, up, down. What are some of the surprising foods that you've noticed in the levels data and just yourself personally, that's like 
what? Well, some of them probably won't be super surprising to this audience because people are quite familiar with keto. And But I think that they're surprising in the sense that we consider them healthy foods, but they may have this bit of, at least in my body or, you know, collateral, like this collateral, I don't want to say damage, but like impact. And the way I think about food is like, you want to maximize. I mean, we only have a certain number of calories per day that we're going to eat, like whether that's between like two or 5,000 or whatever, depending on your body. And in each bite, we're putting in the information of like what's going to build our bodies, but also give the information to tell our bodies how to function. So I think of food is this very precious like interaction. It's like depositing into the bank of yourself, like this information that's critical. And so you want to get every nutrient, every possible exciting, fun building block and molecular information to tell your body what to do possible within that set amount of calories that you have per day with as little damaging stuff as possible. So for me, that looks like just the most nutrient dense, like amount of stuff I can get. And ideally in terms of like the stuff that can be harmful, like ultra processed sugars and grains, pesticides, chemicals, like any of that stuff. Cause it's like, I want the balance sheet to ultimately be more positive and like not negative. And so that's kind of how I think about some of these foods that like in me were surprising. So some of the big ones personally were like sweet potatoes, potatoes, all grains, essentially certain fruits like grapes, massive and corn. So if you just look at like my plate, gov or whatever, like basically those are all foods that you want to fill your plate with. But in me, they cause gigantic glucose spikes, like oatmeal is another one, certainly like up to 170, 180. So like 80 point jumps from my baseline and then a crash afterwards. So I don't feel good. You know, it's causing a big insulin release in my body. So even though there's positive nutrients there, for me, that collateral impact is making that food like less of a great thing on the balance sheet. And it's, it's interesting, like it's not like I, you know, have to eliminate these forever, but I can be at least aware that like, if I'm going to eat sweet potatoes, I better not load my plate with a bunch of other carbohydrates. And I should probably add some like tahini and chia seeds to get some fat and fiber on that as well. So it's just more of an awareness. And also like, in the grain situation, for instance, like if farro and quinoa and rice, if they're all spiking my glucose, well, the beautiful thing is there's a million alternatives to these. And I've become passionate. I love cauliflower rice. I love broccoli rice. I like white rice, which is made of lentils. These don't spike my glucose and like have a bunch of nutrients as well and fiber. And so if you can think about swaps or alternatives to like continue to enjoy the food that you love, but not have that that side stuff like that's ideal. But if you look at our levels data set, so you know we've had about thirteen thousand people go through the program, and you can see basically in the data like what are our top fifty foods that cause people to spike the highest, and some of the really surprising ones we saw in the data set. One was actually acai bowls, which was interesting because a lot of people logged acai bowls and acai itself like doesn't have any sugar. It's like a, it's a not sweet substance, but you think about the way these are prepared, like they're often blended with lots of tropical fruit and there's like honey on top and banana and mango and this and that. And usually not a lot of greens and not a lot of fat and it's not a lot of fiber. And so it's just this sort of like juice blended sugar bomb. And so tons of great nutrients, phytonutrients, all that stuff, but you don't want that huge glucose spike. So like, there's so many ways to tweak that, like make it more of a green smoothie, add lots of greens, use lower glycemic fruits, like berries, like skip any sweetened nut milks in there, skip the honey and add more things like coconut or chia seeds or flax or hemp or whatever. 
totally transform it. I bet you could get it down to a really low spike, but that was actually one of the top 40 spikers in our entire data set, which is kind of interesting. This one, sushi, like very commonly logged, one of our top 40 spikers. Not surprising, white rice, you know, but some people do, you know, assume like, oh, it's white rice that has been cooled generally. And so that will increase as the resistant starch concentration, maybe make it better. But that's not what we see. We see huge spikes with sushi. So I have become a big lover of cauliflower rice sushi. And it's actually really good and so easy to make. And it causes zero glucose spike. I've posted this on my Instagram several times. It's like, it takes literally five minutes to make a ton of this cauliflower rice sushi. So that's an alternative, but also like maybe lean more towards sashimi where you're just eating like a beautiful piece of raw fish or preload your sushi meal with roughage, like a big salad with some vinegar and fat and fiber and protein before eating the sushi. We know that if you sequence your carbs last in the meal, you can often have a much lower response. So there's lots of ways to kind of tweak that a couple others. Oatmeal was one of our really big ones that's surprising to a lot of people, probably not surprising to you or I, but like in its standard form that it's eaten, which is often like instant oatmeal with fruit on top, maybe a little brown sugar, like just through the roof. That was one of our biggest grapes was the fruit that had the highest spike of any. I think that one's kind of interesting because grapes compared to berries, they have about twice the sugar per gram essentially. And grapes are interesting because you often don't eat them with anything else. Like you just grab grapes and pop them in. Whereas like, I never do that with blueberries. Like I'm always eating blueberries with like a high fat yogurt with nuts and stuff. So you're getting that like built in buffer. I rarely ever eat an apple alone. I usually eat it with almond butter or something like that. But grapes, you just pop in and and they have very little fiber. And so it's one where like, I would not recommend eating them all by themselves or in a large quantity, like eat them with the charcuterie board, right? With like nuts and cheese and other stuff, cut them and put them in your yogurt or whatever. But like by themselves, it's basically just like a rocket ship for your glucose. So those were a few of our big spikers there. were, And then there were like the obvious ones. I mean, those were the surprise, some of the surprising ones. The obvious ones were like logged words like Chick-fil-A, McDonald's, donut, pizza, pancakes. Like these were all in there as well. But some of the more surprising ones were some of these kind of like healthier foods. And we saw pho and pho and ramen in there as well, which is not super surprising because it's either rice noodles or like wheat noodles. But the beautiful thing about those is like, there's so many alternatives now that you can do with noodles, like konjac root noodles, which are made out of like a high fiber root vegetable, the konjac root, you can do zucchini noodles, you can do tofu noodles. Like there's so many ways to eat that stuff without having the like gigantic glucose spike. So yeah, I'm all about the like, keep eating what you love, but like tweak it to make it a lot, a lot better. And just being aware as you're going into a meal, like what's going to happen and how to modulate the rest of your meal to make it work better for you. I really hope you're enjoying today's episode. I'd love to see where you're listening from. You can snap a pic and tag me at Leanne Vogel or leave a review for the show on your favorite podcast player. It helps me out tremendously. Okay, back to the good stuff. Yeah, completely. I think the combinations was big for me. Like, oh, I can't have this, but if I add almond butter to it, what would happen? Or I did the chia seed thing too. I'd put 
whatever. Like if I was eating blackberries, I just can't eat blackberries. I just can't. I've tried so many ways to combine them and it will still spike whatever I have with them. But in the case of like a sweeter apple, like a pink lady apple, if I put almond butter on there and chia seeds, it's perfect. But if I just had it by itself, uh, it's not perfect. And so those combinations, I think a lot of people don't take the time. And I didn't, I didn't think the, you know, having an apple, I understand blah, blah, blah. You should have some fat with it, but I didn't actually (laughs) understand how much it could spike and how balanced my glucose could be if I just combined it with a little bit of protein or a little bit of fat. And it makes a big difference. It definitely does. Yeah. It's too cool. I think other ones that I experienced, sweet potatoes too. Many of, I haven't seen a CGM data from any of my clients when we're doing carb ups and things where they can handle sweet potatoes, but I can handle white potatoes just fine, like completely fine. Oh, that's fascinating. I've seen that there's definitely this handful of people who like white rice, brown rice, white potatoes, like very little response. So yeah, fascinating. Isn't it? Whereas blackberries, I mean, I would just, if I was a little bit snacky, I would have some coconut butter and blackberries. I do not do that anymore. Like it's like, it doesn't matter what I combine. Cassava also, that's like a major thing for paleo people. They make pancakes and stuff with it. There's no way that cassava works and all the keto sweeteners, even stevia was an issue for me. And so that's really, I don't know if it's an allergic response with some Mm. of the items too. I've started to wonder like if I'm eating this and it really shouldn't spike my glucose. I wonder if this is an allergy. It'd be fun to kind of play around with that and see what comes about there. And you said that you don't eat meat, that you do a lot of lentils and things like that. Any advice for people listening that want to follow a low carb diet, but just all the animal products they just can't get down with? Yeah, absolutely. So, and I will say like, I eat a little bit of animal protein, mostly it's in the form of sardines basically. And like salmon, I'll eat a little bit of like really high omega three fish now and then. And that's, that's a difference for me from a few years ago. I was like hundred percent whole foods plant-based for several years. And it was similar to your experience actually, where like I was using that diet as a way to heal myself from some health issues that I was dealing with. And it did it like it was magical in a couple months of a totally whole food plant-based diet. Like I'd reversed the couple of things that I was dealing with. And now a few years later, I'm training differently. I'm life is just different. My body seems to respond really well to some high omega three fish and like every now and then like a few ounces of some pasture raised beef. And it's still, I would say I'm 97% plant-based, but like just a little bit of that sort of adjusting and modulating and sort of is a nice process to kind of go through and loosen up a little bit on, and you know, some of the rigidity that we can have when we've really been dedicated to a diet that's had huge benefits in our lives. So some takeaways for people who want to do like essentially low carb, but don't really want to eat a lot of animal products. The first thing I would say in terms of a framing difference is like one thing is maybe not focusing as much on low carb and focusing on low glucose spiking. Cause those are two different things. Like two people can eat the exact same amount of carbohydrates and have different amounts of glucose absorbed into their body. So 
for one person, it may look like higher carb actually can achieve that. And what we really want to focus on is the bottom line, which is like what's happening in our bodies in terms of the glucose spike. And so that's a framing shift I would just start with. The second thing is just really focusing on fiber. And if you are looking at carbs, like net carbs, because it's just amazing. Like an entire can of black beans, like there's nine grams of fiber per serving. And there's like about 3.5 servings per can. So you're looking at like over 30 grams of fiber, which are essentially like not going to be digested by the body. And so again, some people, they still spike on beans, but like, I think that like just really emphasizing fiber in the diet can be like a great way to to try and kind of be plant-based and still keep the glucose low. If you're on a plant-based diet that has very little fiber and you're kind of eating more of like the processed plant-based stuff that's like deplete of fiber, you're going to get big glucose spikes. But the more you can incorporate fiber at like every meal, I think the better. And this kind of goes without saying, but like avoid all of the processed grains and sugar. Like that should not be a part of a plant-based diet. So that means like refined white flour, whole wheat flour, like refined sugars, basically packaged and processed foods. Like stick with foods that are as close to the earth and unrefined as possible because they're going to have less of a negative metabolic impact. So, and then I would say, you know, if you do have a CGM, like experiment with some of your favorite plant-based foods and learn during that 28 days that you have it on, you may learn that certain grains are fine for you and others cause really large large glucose spikes. So you can just like take that information and run with it. But if you don't have a CGM on, I would say just sticking with some of the principles, like if you're going to eat grains at your meal, like don't load up on a bunch of other carbs during that meal, like also have sweet potatoes and also have cassava or something like, you know, a a cassava tortilla or something that's going to be a lot. So kind of just like be very thoughtful about where you're doing your carbs and look for the swaps. Like I said, like cauliflower rice and broccoli rice is in every frozen section, pretty much at every grocery store I've been into. Like I always have like five or 10 of those in my freezer or, you know, they're $3.99. And anytime a recipe calls for rice, I just use cauliflower or broccoli rice. And it's so simple. It's really cheap and it's not going to spike virtually anyone's glucose, I would assume. And yeah, so those are some of the, you know, some of the recommendations I'd make kind of to start with. I love that, Casey. Oh my gosh. I could pick your brain forever and have a conversation with you, but sadly... Uh, Where can people find more from you? I'm going to include a link to levels in the show notes for people that want to check that out. That's the CGM that I've been wearing for think over a year now, off and on. Any other things that you want to share with us? Your Instagram, which you mentioned before. Yeah. So definitely check out levelshealth.com sign up for the newsletter. There's great information there. Really recommend levelshealth.com slash blog. In particular, there's a lot of... I mean, it's just incredible articles about metabolic health written by the top metabolic health thinkers in the country. But there's a lot of practical advice in there too. So look up the food articles if for people who are like trying to think through actual tactical like foods. We've got a great article similar to what we talked about in the podcast, that's 10 surprising glucose spiking foods and why. A lot of swap articles. So like if you like pasta, here are these alternatives that are nutrient rich and are less likely to spike carbs, similar for bread, lunch, dinner, holidays, desserts, breakfast. Like, And these are just like very deeply curated by our team and based in data. We have a foods we love section of the blog, which are like foods that have deep research around them about how they support metabolic health. So things like turmeric or flax. It's just a real amazing resource. And then my Instagram is Dr. Casey's Kitchen, Dr. Casey's Kitchen. 
and the Levels Instagram and Twitter. So at Levels. So our website is levelshealth.com. Our Instagram and Twitter are at Levels. There, it's fun to follow because we're reposting a lot of our beta members' experiments that they're doing and what they're learning and how they're like what they're learning about their diet by using CGM. And so it can spark a lot of interesting ideas. Like even if you don't have the CGM, you can learn from other people. So those are the resources I'd recommend. Yeah. And would be thrilled to connect with anyone on those platforms. Amazing. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. You're welcome back anytime. And it was so great to catch up with you. Great to talk with you as well. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Keto Diet Podcast. Join us again in a couple of days to discover more Keto for Women secrets for your fat-fueled life. Music for the Keto Diet Podcast provided by Yechi. Follow Jacob on Instagram at Yechi underscore official and on Spotify as Yechi. That's Y-E-C-H-I. The Keto Diet Podcast, including show notes and links, provides information in respect to healthy living, recipes, nutrition, and diet, and is intended for informational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor is it to be construed as such. We cannot guarantee that the information provided on the Keto Diet Podcast reflects the most up-to-date medical research. Information is provided without any representations or warranties of any kind. Please consult a qualified physician for medical advice and always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program.